Enjoy local voices. Enjoy local opinions. All on one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast DC is the new local app with hundreds of DC area podcasts. Featuring some of the DC area's best personalities, pundits, and provocateurs. Earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts you love instantly. With new programs being added every week, don't hesitate. Download Podcast DC now for free. Available in the App Store or in Google Play. Podcast DC. Listen local. Say It Loud Network and Mean Old Line Media presents the history of being Black. Hello and welcome to another episode of the history of being Black. I am your hostess, Eunice Elliott, and we have a friend of the family back with us, Dr. C. Chardet Turnipseed, who has graced us with her presence a couple of times before. I'll <laughs> remind you, she's an assistant professor of history at Jackson State University, the inaugural director of education and outreach for the B.B. King Museum. And I'm not even going to go into all of the things Dr. Turnipseed does and <laughs> is in charge of and creates and inspires, but I would just say welcome back to the show, dear friend, Dr. Turnipseed. Thank you. It's so good to be back. (laughs) We always have the most delightful and enlightening conversations with you, and we recently experienced uh, a new federal holiday, and I remember we spoke about it a little bit on the front end, and in addition to a lot of other things that you have been a part of making happen here in this country, but when we talk about Juneteenth becoming a federal holiday in 2021, what did that make you feel when, when the official announcement came down? Oh, it truly was jubilation, and um, you know, just just happy to be recognized in that way, Um, you know, for the work, again, it's our ancestors that we are acknowledging here and the contributions that they have made. That's what makes me feel good is that, you know, finally we're moving in the direction of saying thank you uh, to those Africans who worked so hard. Again, you know, the, the word here in the Mississippi Delta, the word is from kin to can't are the phrases mm-hmm. from Kent to Kent, who worked their entire lives from Kent to Kent. And that means from can't see in the morning to can't see at night, mm-hmm. every day, except Sunday. And what did they get in return? I mean, even when we speak on Juneteenth, for example, the only reason why the announcement was uh, delayed, you know, to many parts of the, the South, and particularly in Texas and Galveston area, where the word came in, uh, on June 19th, 1865, uh, two and a half years after the Emancipation Proclamation was announced and are declared. But they wanted another harvest. They wanted our people out there to just pick that cotton, you know, if, if at least one more time. And, you know, that that it's just so insulting and it's so embarrassing for them because, you know, you really have to look at the kind of insensitivity and and selfishness that that will allow you to be that way and to treat people in that way. And, And you know you're not even paying them, but you're delaying, you know, their emancipation and their rights to freedom and their rights to have agency and pick that cotton for themselves. Um, denying them that just out of greed and selfishness. And so, you know, to get white folks to finally start understanding and appreciating what that is and 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 how that uh, really affects others, you know, that tendency 
to be so greedy and selfish in that way that you would want slavery and then to deny them once it has been mandated and, and ruled and determined and declared and ratified and all these things, you know, to then still want to deny them again, you got to check yourself. And I guess we'll get to that point at some, uh, uh, you know, that, that, that issue at some point in this conversation, but that really, it really bothers me that, um, you know, we are still dealing with people who have that tendency, who don't want to acknowledge it. And again, that goes into that critical race theory stuff. But, you know, again, another subject for another day. But I did feel very overjoyed, uh, happy. And I was particularly happy because Miss Opal Lee, that 94-year-old lady uh, who um, President Biden took a knee and bowed and and kissed the hand and did all kinds of things. And I think that he should award her the Presidential Medal of Freedom. That's the next move, I think, you know, because she's a part of our committee. She's a core part of the National Juneteenth Observance Foundation, which is our committee. You know, so it was she represented that whole movement to get this holiday um, as was envisioned by Dr. Ronald V. Myers, uh, who was a medical doctor here in Mississippi, actually. And he initiated the idea for a national holiday and traveled the country and, you know, visited the, the capital and um, tried to uh, get this this become a holiday during Barack Obama's era and the whole deal, you know. Uh, but he passed away uh, before the holiday was initiated. He he passed away about three years ago. And so I think, you know, for all of us who have been working and the organization itself, the NJOF group, have been working for over 30 years now to push for this piece of legislation. So yeah, collectively, we were jubilant. We were overjoyed. We're very happy. Well, congratulations, first of all. But let me ask you about some of the, or if you've seen some of the feedback from people who, you know, say, anybody ask for Juneteenth, we want reparations, or we don't want that, we want this. How does that make you feel when you have been on the front lines working so diligently for this commemoration of this date, uh, when you hear that in 2021, some of the feedback people are offering? Yeah, um... It's kind of typical, really. I mean, that's our problem, right? Even though there's, it was a great thing to happen. And typically people are, oh, I don't have a problem with Juneteenth. It's just that we don't, you know, see why it needs to be a holiday. I don't know. It baffles me sometimes because so you want to have December the 6th or you want to have your state where your people uh, were emancipated that be celebrated are you just what you're just saying that it's it's historically incorrect the facts it, but it's not um you know yeah general granger and the united states colored troop did actually come to galveston on june uh 2 days before june 19th and made the announcement on june 19th and emancipated uh those africans it's symbolic okay and it's okay you know that that kind of captures the narrative uh, in a way best documented. And the people of Texas has taken it on themselves to celebrate in a big way and have uh, really uh, dispersed that energy throughout the rest of the country where everybody is celebrating and acknowledging Juneteenth as a day of emancipation, a day of independence, on and on and on, all these different days. And now it's a holiday. It's okay. You know, it's okay to celebrate and acknowledge that 
Well, we're, it's, it's symbolic of all of us. And as a historian, you know, again, you can now move from here and tell all those other emancipation stories, which must be told. It's probably the best script you could ever write. You know, talking about your particular historical knowledge of your people and are the communities that your people were in. Galveston represents the collective we. Again, that's the typical thing that I hate to even talk about is our dysfunction and our unwillingness to come together and work as one. When you say mm-hmm. all of the different emancipation stories, for sure, I know that uh, with it coming, Juneteenth recently coming more into the national conversation, uh, especially last year and then this year with it becoming a federal holiday. I know the folks there with Freedom Park and, you know, they had already been commemorating and celebrating it there. How would we go about even learning all of the different emancipation story, because I think in general, the little bit that is taught is the Emancipation Proclamation. And then I think several people who last week were talking about Juneteenth, they usually do kind of just lump it all in and say that was the day the slaves were freed. How do we make sure the story is being told properly and how do we find a way to tell all the story? Again, that's an opportunity for us. You know, that is the thing that, again, confuses me. It's like you're spending so much time you know, with the negative stuff, you know, and, and wanting to tear it down. We, we worked so hard to build this thing up. We got it done, celebrated, acknowledged that, that this is a feat. This is a triumph. This is something that only marks the first step. So what's the next step? So what story do you want to tell and celebrate and perhaps get a holiday around? You know, there are so many sheroes and heroes along this journey of emancipation I mean, please understand that when you talk about the freedom fighters, you know, in every single state, I think every single state has one, you know. And so it's just important for us to start making movies and and documentaries and writing those books and developing curriculum for our schools, all levels, children's books, do more podcasts like this. Uh, genealogy studies so that you can determine what are those stories? You know, who were these people? What were their names? You know, what were the sundown towns where so many people were lynched and uh, uh, just because they rode through in their fancy car and clothes and, you know, those who strove towards excellence and who were condemned and and lynched, you know, uh, what names can we consider for streets in our own communities of people who had done some significant work in the emancipation struggle? Um, you know, what are what are the, the justifications for reparations? What is the, how do you reclaim that generational wealth? How can you make the case? And it needs to be a collective we, again, you know, just figuring out how to just pull all that information together. It only makes the the case stronger when you do. And so I think that's one of the beautiful things about NJOF is that it represents all these different states throughout the country. It's not just one community. It's not just about Galveston. Uh, Doc Myers is from Mississippi. You know what I'm saying? So he actually was just doing the work of Juneteenth and what it symbolizes And so I don't know if people are, uh, you know, struggling with their quest for fame or or, or their own insecurities about stuff. I don't know why. Every single time, every single opportunity we have, you know, to uh, be more 
self-determined and are revolutionary, are determined for ourselves, that there's another one of us that becomes the spokesperson for why it shouldn't be. Or, you know, just to speak it down and stomp it down. And okay, we call it crab in the barrel, but that's beyond crab, you know, and that's just that's just crazy. And we need to stop it and check. Right. It. And as you mentioned, that's the, the dysfunction of uh, of our community uniquely. So uh, in a way that is, is very frustrating and it doesn't matter what it is. I, I was seeing recently where this young lady is going to the Olympics in the hundred meter dash and everyone has all this negative stuff to say about her. And, and, and the other part of that is if someone doesn't have something negative to say, then they have to do this comparison that is not as good as. Um, right. And we see that a yes. lot in sports and entertainment, right. but it's not as good as, and it's all in the same community. Um, so yeah, unfortunately that that's quite pervasive um, whenever someone gets a win. But when mm-hmm. we talk about winning and again, congratulations um, in the work that you've done and to have that moment last week, to have it officially declared a federal holiday and all of the people you've worked with, what, what do you then, or have you even thought about what's next or what's now? Because obviously there's, as you mentioned, so many stories to be told, but what's next on the agenda? For you, you know, for me, you know, I've been thinking deeply about that. You know, it, it's really Juneteenth is the beginning of our independence, I think, season, and it should be something that we work towards down, perhaps creating opportunities where from June 19th to July 4th. There's all these wonderful ways to come together, uh, you know, just that season of emancipation, if you will, and an opportunity for us to, you know, extend the notion of what it means to be a, a free, emancipated, independent people. Uh, every weekend we can do all kinds of wonderful celebrations and it's summertime anyway, you know, with that being the thing. And eat more barbecue, you know, <laughs> get out there every week. We do barbecue <laughs> and have a reason, you know, to truly come together as family, as community, as church folk, as policy, whatever. But just use this season between uh, June 19th and July the 4th to celebrate the independence and emancipation and and that free spirit that embraced so deeply and so well here in America. You know, what does that all mean? And it could be a wonderful, again, season to inform and educate and share all of these different stories that we need to hurry up and learn about. And I, you know, did this uh, just actually today in preparation for this podcast, just started thinking about reparations and and what uh, all these different R words you know, signify. So you you start talking about reparation and there's retribution, there's return on the sweat equity investment. There's oh. a reawakening, a revenge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Repatriation, yeah. reprisal, reckoning, refund, reimbursement, recompense, restitution, <laughs> remuneration, repayment, reinstatement, restoration oh. again. Reclamation again to reestablish our historical black townships and return to our traditional greatness and reclaim our collective sanity. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's crazy you did that. What? What? I mean, let's just go on and go deep into reestablishing these 
historical Black townships, understanding how Tulsa happened, how Mount Bayou came into existence, all of these wonderful places that our ancestors built coming out of slavery. And we don't let each one of them, every single one of them, fall down to the ground. And our, you know, I hate to put the onus on us because white folks had superior weapons. And that's the only reason why they were able to crush, kill, and destroy uh, mm-hmm. most of our movements and, and our, our establishments and, and the townships that we have. But to reclaim those and to restore those on purpose and really be about building community, you know, on the very soul that our ancestors tried, bled, sweat to build. I think we would have the muscle, the might, that spiritual power to do it if only we understood and I think that's the thing. The understanding, I think, is lost. Yeah. When, you, when you say the, the all of the amazing R words, I think the one, obviously, most people talk about sometimes with no real basis for their argument beyond reparations. It's like, I'm Black, I want reparations. Um, have you ever thought about how reparations could work? Yeah, I have. And I challenge my students because, you know, I teach African-American history and American history and world history, but then all of that's coming through an African lens, period. But we always deal with, um, you know, what does reparations mean and and how should it become manifest in your lifetime and, and how, because grandmama done did the work, so they done passed the baton to you. It's on you to collect the debt, you know, because I see it as investment. It's, it's the return on investment. It's uh, which is another R word, right? The return on that sweat equity investment. How do you claim it? You know, what is it? It should be free education, in my opinion, all the way through medical school, just like they do in Cuba, you know. But Mm -hmm. to be able as long as you keep the grades, you're good. You could keep going. Uh, Yes, we should have free health care. I don't think black folks need to be paying taxes you know, for the next 500 years, quite frankly, you know, the equal measure, maybe, okay, 450 years or whatever. But the thing is, is that we should not have to pay taxes. And then I, for one, as an African woman, feel as though we don't owe America. Uh We don't, we we don't, we don't, we don't owe you a damn thing. And we really need to embrace that with courage and understanding of the contributions we have made. We are the life givers of this country, if not the world, as African women. But then, you know, when you really start studying this, this, what we went through during slavery and how we were used as just breeding like animals and Reparations means uh, restoring us to our historic greatness. We're the ones who built the pyramids. We're the ones who built all the great societies and sciences and religions of the world. So restoring us back to our traditional greatness is probably impossible. But still, there should be an effort because I just felt, you know, at this point, they haven't even said thank you. you Right. 
Well, as that's a country, such a, uh, uh, the idea that you just gave. You know, I think when people say reparations, they're looking for a, a check to be cut. But like you said, the value on us not owing this country anything else because our ancestors have built and paid all debts moving yeah. forward. Well, even if right. it's as much as we don't pay taxes, um, the education, uh, being able to matriculate as far as you can for your talent mm-hmm. and ability and work. Mm-hmm. Um, I think those are amazing ideas. I think about, you know, when they gave the, the reparation checks after World War II to the Japanese that they had in the camps in California, they just, you know, came up with some numerical number. I think it was like 20,000 or something. Um, and that, there's never, it seems like there's never even been an attempt. It's like, it's a word that seems so radical and obscene to people when it's spoken. Um, but I think in the way you just laid it out, it is obviously quite doable um, as even a start. A start. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think as far as generational, I've thought about reparations and how could they start. And, and it's to me, it's that thing of all those places that's documented where the U.S. government or cities and states uh, exercise eminent domain to take black communities and black commerce and just take it mm-hmm. over. Start there. You have their names and documentation of who owned that before you took it. Yeah. And if we're going to come up with a figure, we're going to start at about nine trillion. We start there uh-huh. and and negotiate up, really, uh-huh. because it's like, yeah, you owe us the world. Period. Right. And they know that. That's why they shudder to think, oh, God, we could never repay you. Right. But make an right, effort. Exactly. You said start at nine trillion and we'll negotiate up. I love that because I mean, it, from their end, they know that, and that that is why it can't be a conversation. It's like, how would I begin to try to compensate you for what has happened? Mm-hmm. But we're yeah. saying start. Let's start yeah. though. It's not start, start there. Start there, and we'll we'll work with you. You know, because right. yeah, we we owe this country and. That's the argument. You know, as a business major, you understand, again, when you sweat equity, that you're working to build this experiment, right? This enterprise, mm-hmm. right? So if you don't get paid, it's automatic right. that you've got stock. You own that, right? right. Yeah, transferable. That, that you have stock that's worth something. And so the value of that stock is for us to determine. It ain't for the United States government. We need to come with an understanding that that's the bottom line, nine trillion plus education, plus, you know, the health care and the no taxes. And, you know, and I'm I'm feeling like and if our youth come with a really good business plan, they should come, you know, they should be paid at least a million dollars to start their businesses. Mm. Everybody. Just just have a really good business plan that you have developed a unique idea and there should be some pool of funds that is available for a million dollars, period. I don't care what the business is. You get a million dollars as long as you have a really good, uh, well-thought-out business plan. Go ahead and do it, Dr. T. I mean, I mean, what you doing? <laughs> I think all these things like wonderful ideas. You know, and I've seen that the fruits of your labor that you can have a passion and an attachment and make things happen. So I'm, I'm, I've never heard of this type idea for reparations outside of people just say, you know, come up with arbitrary figures as far as cutting checks. But I love this, this idea of, yeah, let's start there and let's negotiate up. And it still would never even come close to being true compensation for all of the lives lost, all of the lives deterred, the health concerns, the the things that will, the, the gift that keeps on giving is uh, slavery and systematic racism and institutionalized racism. So it's so much to undo 
but you can start. And I think that's what most people would like to see something as a start. And you know what? We'll still have people being mad about that too. <laughs> but I, I wanted to ask you. <laughs> I do know that. I do know that. But I wanted to ask you something. Yeah. I just thought about Juneteenth and and with the um the soldiers coming to Galveston to tell those particular slaves that they had in essence been freed two years prior. Talk to me a little bit about what you feel is the mindset. Like you told me it was just so they can use this free labor for the next harvest. And I'm here in Alabama and it's just been confirmed last year, two years ago, that Clotilda was the last slave ship to reach U.S. shores after slavery was abolished, quote unquote. And so we have these moments that are documented of just treacherous <laughs> lies to people you have already stolen and in, and captured and enslaved. And then you still had to keep going and doing more. How do we process that? As you talk about the trauma that we've all suffered and, and trying to get our sanity. So even in the commemoration of it, the root of it is infuriating beyond slavery. Yeah. You know, I just think it's important for everybody, uh, not just African people, to know thyself. White folks need to know thyself and understand that it's something. I don't know if it's genetic. I'm not even going to go that far. I'm not, you know, a scientist in that regard, but. There's a tendency there. Everywhere they go, it's that same tendency. Crush, kill, destroy, and are abuse others and steal their stuff and claim it and rename it. And, you know, we used to have that saying, uh, black folks can't have nothing, you know, because oh. white folks always steal it, everything, you know, oh. and putting a brand on it, their name, renaming it something else. And we then end up, you know, acquiescing and going along with them because we don't want to fight them. And, you know, it's like we are that kind of very special people and it's uniquely suited in a way that allows white folks to get away with a lot because of our nature of just being so open and kind and they're the complete polar opposite. Uh, and in, and all I think, ways, in all ways though, in all, in, yeah. in all ways, I've, I've seen recently, yeah. uh, I don't know if you're on TikTok, it'll waste as much time, on, but TikTok <laughs> has a thing where Black creators are now not creating just even dances to new popular songs because what would happen is the white folks would then take the dances and then they would be on the Tonight Show doing the dances that the black creators weren't even credited for. So it's like a new mm-hmm. song out and it's like this little protest of we're not going to make up a dance to it and let's see what y'all do. And they've been able to do nothing. Okay. <laughs> those moments of these young people are getting it. We're tired of creating and someone else putting their name on it or doing it. And it's a novelty that they do it so well when they didn't create it. Whether it's you know, and it's everything the else. Tragedy, the tragedy is they know damn well what they're doing. They're doing mm-hmm. it on purpose, you know, so that way, you know, they can, you know, like in soul music and every single thing, you know, mm-hmm. they'll study your music, they'll study jazz, they'll study reggae, hip-hop, boom, 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 and then they become the superstars and they make all the money. And they're doing it with blues right now. Like, you you look around and think, oh, white folks created blues too? And they're getting uh-huh. all the awards. And, you know, I was on the foundation where they brought in, uh, instead of having adjacent to the blues music and blues musicians to get the awards, they then brought in rock. I said, rock? Wait a minute. What happened to uh, soul and gospel and jazz and all the things that the hip hop even? How you going to leapfrog all of them and bring in rock to be adjacent to blues awards? 
and blues music. So you done set up this foundation to award your own people on the auspices, on the backs of us again, you know, so it's in every single way, you know, white folks know what they're doing and they're doing it on purpose. And then we so kind and so nice. And so Dr. Turner said, I have quoted you several times from one of the other times you visited the show. You said once before, you think you have a theory that because we are the first people, we have this unique attachment to humanity that white folks don't have. I remember you said that. And it struck me as that makes sense. That because and it's we displayed, are isn't it? Yeah. It's displayed in every walk of life, every, every single thing. And and I think I even said before too how I I challenge my students every single year, every single class. I say, you tell me what talent, skill, expertise, or profession is there whereby Black folks ain't at the top or the best at it, you know, when they master it and and when they've had the economic uh, ability to learn it, you know, have the the education and and the resources available to really master that thing. Name me a skill, a talent, an expertise, or a profession where that's not true. That when black folks master it, drop the mic. It's over. Well, when black folks master it, it's time to change the rules. That's Simone Biles. When black folks master it, it ain't fair no more. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. And so here's the thing. It's like we're the best of the best at everything. That includes being a knucklehead. Mm -hmm. Because you ain't seen no knucklehead better than us when we want (laughs) to be a knucklehead. True. Are the best of the best and Nelson Mandela types or whatever. And so what then happens is, yeah, they study us and, and try to master our mastery. And then we off creating something else and say, OK, you uh-huh. got it. Then I'm moving on and doing something different right. because, yeah, we got it like that. And so it's just they know that about us. We forgot that about us. And that's what we need to reclaim. And that whole reawakening and that consciousness of knowing thyself is critical. And they have to also know themselves so that they can stop doing what they're doing. If they really want to grow and evolve in this humaneness or this this human family and, and really be a part of it and not feel like they have to control everything and, and you know, like I'm the supreme and powerful and almighty no, you're not. You're not that special, white people. But we are. <laughs> and I can say that in all honesty. <laughs> no, and, I, and it's true. It's, it's true. Um, it's true. My mom calls us the magical Negroes because uh, that's yes. how they consume. It's like, what is this magic? <laughs> yeah. They just pull with. Oh my God. You know, I just wrote a little script for TED Talks. And I and I wrote about these magical Negroes, these magical Africans that came here and built America and made the cotton king and did all these great things and, you know, invented the gin. And nobody knows about, you know, Henry Ogden Holmes and how he was able to build the gin that everybody uses today. But Eli Whitney has the credit. Right. And so it's just how all of that happened with these magic people. And a TED talk said, oh, can you take the magic people out? I was like, okay, <laughs> I know what I need to do. And that is write my own children's book about these magic people. Right. You know, right. they don't want to use the magic people. We need to use the magic people and not be dampened uh-huh. by their um, insecurities or whatever of us claiming that, you know, uh-huh. and embracing that magic. And so, yeah, just because you don't want to see us and you're not going to invest in 
us saying things like that, that's where we're supposed to step in and take it to the next level and own our truth and our magic. There is some recognition of when you say they need to know themselves. I think they do know enough that they don't want us to learn. You know, I think there's one to have the other conversation about critical race theory or just even have the truth in in elementary school books. Mm -hmm. I think they know enough about themselves that they don't Mm -hmm. want to talk about. I think that is where the insecurities come in. Eunice, you know what? I really honestly believe, okay, this is another project, but I really believe we need to start a commission called the Harriet B. Truth Commission. And that's Harriet Tubman, Ida B. Wells, and, you know, Sojourner Truth. But the, the mm. Harriet B. Truth Commission, where we just document all the atrocities of white folks against black folks, our people of color. Who has that kind of time, Dr. I know, right? Just even starting it, I know. That's such a huge, I mean, it's so. I know, even as you said, it's like, let me help y'all out here. Let me just, you know, just list them all. And it's like, okay, now research that, study that, Mm. and, and heal yourself. I know. Dr. Termsey, I want to thank you. We're going to wrap up this particular episode because we all need a healing. I believe it's true. We all have been sick, but the root of all of our sicknesses still go back to white folks. It's <laughs> so, crazy, you know. isn't it? And I'm so sick of it. Like Fanny said, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. <laughs> Congratulations again on all of the work you have done uh, to to help get Juneteenth to the forefront. Now officially a federal holiday. I'm looking forward to all of the work you'll continue to do. You have yeah. a lot of other projects that you are still working on that have um, really changed a lot of the communities that you're a part of uh, there in Mississippi. Also, um, I think you were one of our first guests to talk to us about the Gullah Geechee people. And we've had other guests on to talk about that. And so we were like, Dr. Turnipseed told us. So I want you to know that we talk about you often and we quote you often. We really do appreciate your, your, your experience, your background and your energy and passion of talking to us about the history of Black folks. Now, we generally ask for an action item at the end of the episode for our listeners to feel galvanized to move forward. I feel like you already said one, but if you want to say another one or a different one, but you said something halfway through that I thought that's the action item. Let's see what you okay, got. Okay, what's that? What's that? What was that? You said we need to tell our stories. And, and, and there are stories in our communities. There are streets that need to be named after our heroes. There are stories in every community, in every family, in every state. And we all need to start telling these stories. And it's not about yeah. looking for someone to tell our stories. And it's not about tearing down somebody whose story is being told. Right. That's what I heard and and on that note, you know, I'm a public historian. And what a public historian does is we build museums, historic sites, those monuments you see all over the place that always tell the story of white folk, again, only because we ain't doing it. So our action item really needs to be for every single community, find a place, an event, a person that you can recognize and, and put on a marker, just tell their story in one paragraph, just why were they significant to this place, to this, to this moment, to this environment, to this. And we need to be reminded that we are a great, mighty people. We truly are. And it's just not been told. So we forgot. And, you know, our historic memory is waning because we haven't been reminded. So we need to have these stimuluses in our communities. Every single community needs to have a historical marker in place telling the story of somebody. 
And we just put one up for Harriet, our, uh, for Fanny Lou Hamer. I think I told you guys about mm-hmm. that last time in the courthouse steps. And so we're working on the next one for the postmaster, the first black woman after reconstruction, uh, who was the postmaster. And, uh, wow. and there hadn't been another one since until, wow. uh, the 2012 or something like that. So for that whole stretch of time, over a hundred years, you know, so, Tell the stories of people like that who did some phenomenal things in those times when those kinds of things just weren't happening. So the kind of courage and the determination and the intelligence and all the ingenuity stuff, you know, and the spirit of the ancestors, again, just working through her, through us, if only we embrace it, if only we allow it. So, yeah, we need to be in tune and in touch with our ancestors. That's who we are. That's who we be. And that's where our magic really lies in the realm of the ancestors. We can drop the mic on that, Dr. Turnipseed. <laughs> thank you so much for that. Again, thank you so much for always blessing us with, uh, it's really your energy. And more than likely is because you are channeled to the energy of the ancestors. You bring it to us. And so we love you and appreciate you for doing that for us and all of the work that you're doing daily. Um, hopefully you will continue to be a friend of the history of being black because you know we go ask you back. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> <So>. you better. <laughs> <laughs> I can promise you that. If I can't tell I you want, nothing else, I, I want to be a regular, continuing person. We got this on tape, um, Dr. Turner C. So I'm funny now. <laughs> I just talked to you last week. But we really appreciate you. We hopefully everyone that is listening to this episode has felt the energy through whatever platform you're listening. Make sure you subscribe and like the podcast and uh, get moving. We got stuff to do. Hashtag be the change. You could do it right there Dang. on your street in your community. That's there what we're going to do. Yeah. Thank you, Dr. Just, just holler at me if you need help. So, okay, there we go. Uh, okay. We're going to do it. We'll talk to y'all next time on the next episode of The History of Being Black. The History of Being Black podcast is hosted and produced by Eunice Elliott. Associate producer, Lauren Turner. Edited by Ken Johnson. Executive producers, Omar Thompson, Andrew Kalb, and Ken Johnson. Find the History of Being Black podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcast. The History of Being Black podcast is a mean old lion and say it loud network production.